Hey everyone, and thanks for tuning in to this week's message. My name's Aaron, and I'm on the staff team here at Eastlake. Everything we do around here depends on the generous donations of our local and online community. People just like you, who tune into these messages and see great benefit from living that idea that life is a gift and love is the point. So if you love what Eastlake is up to, we'd encourage you to contribute by going to eastlakecc.com. With that, let's jump into this week's message. Today, Kristen and Peter talk with Dr. Sarah Hansen as they continue our series on mental health, What's On Your Mind? Please check the description for links to our quarterly Spotify playlist and guided meditation. Well, hey, Eastlake, it's Kristen and Peter here with our friend, Dr. Sarah Hansen. And we are continuing this series on mental health. And we asked Sarah to join us today to talk about anxiety. Um, It's something that we hear about often these days. And um, I think it'll be a great opportunity to hear from Sarah to get more specifics on what exactly is anxiety. How do we work with people in our life who deal with that on a daily basis? to separate some truths from rumors or myths, or how do we understand what this is? So Sarah, we're really excited to have you here. I did say, I did say to Sarah and Peter, I'm going to try really hard to make sure this is not a personal therapy session between me (laughs) and my friend therapist, Sarah. Um, That would be fun to observe though, just to be clear. I think it'd be, I think it'd be a, I'd like to be a fly on the wall for that. (laughs) Well, some of the emails that we exchange ahead of this are like, um, this might be too yeah. personal, but here's a thought. Um, so Sarah, first of all, I would love for you to kind of intro your relationship with anxiety and how you're going to be approaching this yeah. conversation. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Well, I'm excited to be here. I've been um, really anxious as <laughs> I've been preparing for a talk on anxiety. So I'm really happy for it also Perfect. to be over because it. I think um, true to what anxiety is, the more that you spend time with it, the more you feel it and you, the more you feed it, the larger it grows. So, um, I think I haven't had to hone in like this for a long time on anxiety. And so I've been feeling all of it, which we'll kind of get to, but I think starting off, I want to, um, give a, give a, just an awareness that I'm coming from it from, um, I have my master's and my doctorate in counseling psychology. I've been practicing for 12 years. I've seen a lot of people, um, come in with, you know, symptoms of anxiety and how that looks can, can be different for each person. Um, whether or not people have an actual diagnosis or not, anxiety is something that comes up, you know, almost every time I have a session with someone. Um, and then, so I have that brain, my psychology brain, you know, is on. And then I also just have my own experience and personal experience with anxiety and probably the ways I've coped, um, in unhealthy or not productive ways, um, ways that I've probably managed it and coped with it, um, in a lot of different ways. And so I have that side of me as well. And so I'm going to be doing my best to, uh, to speak from both and be able to have the kind of the empathy and the compassion and the real experience come through, but also my, um, my expertise and, you know, what I do for a living, um, also come through. And, uh, also while I try to do that, it's also going to be times where you're like, I feel like you just contradicted yourself (laughs) and that will be true many times, most likely. Um, I also just want to say a lot of what I'm going to be um, sharing is directly from Brené Brown's new book, Atlas of the Heart, that I think I talked mm. about at that beginning one too. She um, goes through 87 different emotions and thankfully she talks about anxiety. And so mm. I, a lot of what I'm going to be sharing um, is from, from that book. So if anyone wants to pick that up, I'd highly recommend it. Um, but I'll just start, I think I'll just start with um, when you think about anxiety, I think 
people think, you know, uh, stress, overwhelmed, high strung. Um, I don't know. There's, there's so many different, you know, worry. Uh, there's a lot of different terms that we throw around and people typically don't know the difference. And I don't think it actually necessarily matters unless you're really trying to communicate something and you're, you're not, you know, that's not being communicated to the people that you're in relationship with. Um, so I think what is important to know about anxiety is that it's cognitive, which means it's in our minds and it's mental, um, and it's physical. And that's where it kind of differs from other emotions and other experiences. Um, anxiety involves the past, which is the hypervigilance that people tend to, because of the past, they're scanning for danger right now. Um, but they're pulling from things from the past. It involves the present, which is fear. Like fear only lives right now, right here. And then it involves the future, which is dread and worry. And so I think with that, you can get this picture that it's not um, simple when you think about this overarching thing of anxiety. And that typically the other terms you hear, worry, stressed, overwhelmed, fall underneath this big umbrella of anxiety because it's all encompassing all of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, Quick kind of pause yeah. there question yeah. for you. So you were saying hypervigilance is that, can you kind of dive into what you mean by that? Is yeah. that just, a, I think I am tracking for the most part, but I'd love to hear you dive into yeah. it a little bit more. Yeah. A lot of times um, I think this is probably a lot of people's experience with anxiety is there's a sense of, constantly scanning to, to for danger or having a sense of always being ready. Like I, I need to be, be ready. And my body and everything is responding to stimulus out there. And it's like, it doesn't take much to put um, someone that struggles with anxiety or that's just their propensity to go into fight, flight or freeze mode. And that comes from this sense of like, I'm going to just be scanning and scanning. Does that help? I would say that's what I would say. Hypervigilance is just that. um, I feel like there's danger lurking and I'm going to be, I need to be really prepared and ready at all times for it. Got it. But it was, I think you brought that up in relationship to typically the past So something in our experience has taught us that we need to be on watch. Yeah. Um, but also like I'm assuming evolutionarily, like <laughs> the reason our species has survived is because we have had some mechanism to be on guard That's to it. not die. Um, That's it. And it can, it's a like good default. thing. Right. It's yeah. a good thing. Like there's times where our, I mean, our fight, fight, freeze, um, that part of our nervous system is there to protect us. It's there to help with our survival. And I think we sometimes, um, talk so often about how it's negative and we forget that like, yes, but it also absolutely serves a purpose. It's just that when I'm sitting on my couch and it's just the way that I'm processing something that I, if I go into fight, flight, freeze mode, then my body's like, there is no tiger. Like there's nothing actually coming at me, but my body thinks there is. And then I go about my day, like nothing happened. And I haven't really we call it this completing the stress cycle, which is this other amazing book called Burnout that talks about that this need to have this full completion that typically, right, in those um, much, all those years ago, <laughs> if there was like a caveman running away from a tiger, right, if they got away from the tiger, they would go back to the village and there would be this like huge like, oh my gosh, we got away from the tiger, like (laughs) celebration and release of energy. And they would have actually physically been running. And so there was this, this full circle cycle that happens, but Mm -hmm. now, you know, that we don't have, we don't do that. We don't like sprint down the road when we're feeling, every time we're feeling this buildup of emotions and feelings and everything. And I- Did we? Should we, we should. We <laughs> should I do should. start doing that? <laughs> you absolutely should. They do say like the best way to complete the stress cycle is physical exercise. So mm-hmm. if you, mm-hmm. if you find that you had just gone through something 
where you did have that elevated heart rate, the sweaty palms, like you just felt really um, heightened, I would say. And then it, it, whatever the stimuli or the stressor goes away, the best thing you can do is like, just drop and give me 10, like just get, <laughs> do some push-ups. like get some of that, that energy out um, physically yeah. and, and typically you'll be better off. But. Um, just a quick note about the physical part of it, of the experience like I said, I'm not going to keep this as a personal therapy session, but I did end up at the doctor thinking I was having like a heart attack or something. Um, and he, they, I think they do this for people. <laughs> he did like the tests and stuff. And he was like, I think this is anxiety. And I was like, yeah. what? You mean I'm not dying? I feel like my heart's about to explode. Yes. So yes. Besides that, what are some yeah. of these like physical, why is that different from yeah. worry? Yes. So let me, I want to talk about that because it's, it's very important to know that. So I think Peter had mentioned the DSM-5 at that, that first talk, but the DSM is kind of our, how we do diagnoses. And there's a lot of different feelings about it. Some people hate it and think it's, you know, um, the, the harm of labels, which is legit, right? And, and a way to, and insurance companies and all of the things. But it is helpful for um, defining and, and to help to get the differential, right? Like what's the difference between all of these things? And so in the DSM, there's quite a few different um, diagnoses that have to do with anxiety. You can't get diagnosed with anxiety. Like just plain anxiety is not actually a thing. Um, you can get there, there's one called generalized anxiety disorder. Um, and then social anxiety disorder, panic disorder, there's phobias, there's agoraphobia and there's separation anxiety disorder. Those are kind of the main ones that have to do with anxiety. And even just hearing them, um, you get a little bit of sense of the differences between them and the thing they all have in common is just that there is that unease. There's that that physical, cognitive, um, unease, distress, and that comes with it. So I want to talk a little bit, let me just talk about the generalized anxiety disorder. And then Kristen, how that is different than what I think what you're talking about, which is more of like a panic, a panic attack or a panic disorder. And it's, I think it's really important to kind of know, and at least you can have an idea that they're different. So the generalized anxiety disorder is um, defined by as a condition of excessive worry about everyday issues and situations, which is key, like everyday situations, right? So it is very common and typical for all of us to have stressors and worries throughout the day um, and life and, you know, different life events that happen. But this is that it's an everyday situation and you're having excessive worry. It has to last longer than six months. And this is key. In addition to worried, you may feel restlessness, fatigue, trouble concentrating, irritability, increased muscle tension, and trouble sleeping. And so then with those additional ones, you can see how it really starts impacting people's quality of life overall. I really relate to the irritableness. I think <laughs> if that was a diagnosis, like just irritable. Um, it's hard to separate that. Though. Is that just my children or is that yeah, you know, it's yeah. hard for me? I, can't tell I find that my, yeah, my anxiety really <laughs> takes on that. So the difference of the panic disorder. So a lot of times people get diagnosed with that and then they get diagnosed with panic disorder and panic disorder is that you've, you've experienced a panic attack, um, which is a very significant period of time. Um, I would say some people will say, Oh, I had a panic attack for an hour. No, you didn't. You might've been recovering for an hour, but a panic attack we're talking like three to 10 minutes max. I would say max 10 minutes would be very long. Um, but you do truly feel like you're dying. You really, it does look and appear even from the outside that the person is having an, a heart attack or is in, in dire. Yeah, I mean, like there's no hiding it. Um, you do feel like your heart is pounding out of your chest. You, um, your breathing is absolutely irregular. You are sweaty. You are experiencing all of those symptoms. So it is smart to go to the doctor. Like, don't just assume it's anxiety either, right? Like, yeah. hey, make sure 
you do know what's going on because that's important. Um, but if that is something that, you know, the doctor has said, actually, yeah, your, your heart, everything looks fine. It really is anxiety. Then it is about looking how you're going to treat um, panic attacks. And what's so hard about panic attacks is the once you've had one, the fear of having one again is what tends to then lead you to have one again. <laughs> and it is this perpetuating terrible cycle um, that oftentimes medication is necessary to help your body recognize that it doesn't need to do that. Because once you get into that pattern, it's hard to get out of it, especially for people who are having them daily or every, every few days, right? Yeah. Um, Thanks okay, for explaining say about, that. Yeah, about that. Hopefully that's yeah. helpful. Yeah. I had a kind of a question related to that. So I'm assuming, and I think you spoke to this a bit, but there's, there's obviously, I think when you highlighted those five categories within, you know, what is, what is I think classified as, these are having the word disorder, anxiety mm -hmm. disorder, panic disorder. Yeah. Um, those would be, I would assume pretty severe cases of anxiety or, or are like, are there, how would you classify like there being certain types of levels? Because I'm assuming everybody listening to the discussion has felt stress, has felt worry, has felt anxiety. Yeah. But what you're kind of highlighting is ongoing anxiety would be like how often you're experiencing it, the severity of how you're experiencing it. Um, like, are, are there, are those the main factors that would drive, like whether it would kind of move into the place of I have it, like how comfortable yeah. should we be with, I have anxiety. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like what, how, how yeah. should we phrase it or not? And is that dangerous to wear as an identity? I'm, I'm experiencing anxiety. How would you kind of coach yeah. people who maybe like just to, to like put themselves into a bucket with these severe diagnoses versus the topic in general? Yeah. I think it's a good question. I, th I think people, um, I do think you have to kind of f figure out for yourself, like what it is you're really experiencing. I think you're right. It's the severity of it is the duration for sure. Like how long has this been happening? Uh, the intensity, <clears throat> the intensity of the anxiety itself and how it feels. And can you go to work that day? Um, like, can you do your kind of normal everyday activities while you're experiencing that? And if the answer is no, okay, like that, you know, that you, let's, let's get some help then for that. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, so yeah, severity, duration and frequency, right? Like how, yeah. is this like all the time or is it more situational? They talk about, there's this different differentiating between trait and state anxiety. Hmm. Um, trait, uh, trait anxiety is someone who says like, I'm an anxious person. Like I was born anxious and typically, you know, you got, Oh, I'm a type A person. I'm, I'm overly conscientious. Like there's the people that are just like, you would say, Oh, I was prone to anxiety. That person's just, it, it's not like when people ask me sometimes like, Oh, what are you anxious about? I'm like, nothing. I'm just anxious. Like I just, mm. there's like a buzz. There's like an underlying, it's like, I have white noise mm. very softly playing all the time. And it's just, and sometimes it can spike and sometimes it's just there. And I'm like, mm. oh yeah, there it is. But if you were to ask me what it's about, I'm like, I don't know. But if you were to ask me, state anxiety is like, I know what I'm anxious about. That's like a situation. Mm. There's, there's some, if, if you ask a person, what are you anxious about? And they answer, it's like, oh, well then they are probably in a, a season or in trait anxiety. That's just like a trait they're experiencing. A state, I'm sorry, it's the opposite, state, state yeah. Yeah. state yeah. right where the trait is like who i am and i mm. think so then those are even different than generalized anxiety disorder right mm. like that's pretty typical that you might fall into one of those categories and and if not both at times and then it gets to a point where if you're experiencing it excessive amounts where you can't function well i think that's always the differentiating thing with diagnoses is is your overall functioning really being um, impacted by the anxiety? Mm -hmm. and, and like social anxiety disorder is the fear of being judged by other people. And th those people typically, um, they have a hard time just in the grocery line because the thought of something going wrong and then people watching them and what that does to them mentally is enough for them not to want to go to the grocery store, mm -hmm. right? 
um, and phobias. I mean, I think there's a bunch of jokes about phobias. Um, it's probably one of the most, um, how do I say this? It's like curable diagnoses you could ever get would be a phobia because you can unlearn something that you've learned pretty much. Right. So a lot of it is like that classic conditioning you learned in general psychology. Like I can unlearn to be scared of something if I introduce it to you enough. Mm-hmm. Now it won't be fun because it means like spiders will have to crawl on you eventually. Just kidding. <laughs> um, but <laughs> there's actually some great YouTube videos of people. I don't know why they need to get over snake phobia. Like it doesn't seem practical to me if, yeah. unless I'm going to be around them, but there is this incredible video of a woman who goes through the whole thing of like how you can get over Overcome. a phobia. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's hard awesome. to build a career at, you know, PetSmart if you can't get over yeah. that. Though, so. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Right. <laughs> that is so true. Yep. Yeah. That's crazy. That's interesting. Nope. Hmm. Nope. Thank you. hey everyone it's Kristen just wanted to take a moment to say thank you for tuning in I hope that you're finding these messages helpful for you in your everyday life Um, that's what we're trying to do here is gather around the idea that life is a gift and love is the point and let's give ourselves ways to move forward in that in our own everyday world Um, so I wanted to take a moment to say thank you for being a part of this community to those of you who have participated and given financially we want to say thank you to you Everything that we do here happens because people make contributions. People say, I value this place. I want it to exist for me and for other people. And so I'm going to support it. And so we just want to say how grateful we are um, that you do that. And for those of you who maybe haven't had a chance to contribute yet, um, we would ask you to consider maybe doing so. If you find this place beneficial, if you find these messages helpful for you, then um, consider joining us in that way. You can go to eastlakecc.com to make a contribution. um, And we just always are thankful for the people who want this place to exist. So thanks again for tuning in. Let's get back to the message. That's helpful, I think, to understand the differences between the the, the trait state thing. I would assume many people can relate. I can relate to that, um, certainly. Um, and, and, And understanding the differences between some of what would be considered more serious. Yeah. And I think in general, what I'm hearing you say too, is that it starts to be classified. I mean, maybe the, I don't know the actual term, but when it impedes your day-to-day functioning is when we should go see a, an expert, I'm assuming. Yeah. Correct? yeah. And before, right? Like, I think definitely go see someone if you're not able to function. Yeah. And I hope that people have, right? Um, and I hope family members have helped people get that help. The thing about anxiety, I think that's hard. When you're depressed, when we're not talking about depression, but let's just compare it with, there's very similar symptoms. And sometimes it can actually look so similar. But typically people with depression might get pushed to see someone first because they're not functioning. Like they're maybe actually physically in bed and can't get out. Someone with anxiety could be as well, but I would say in the most kind of stereotypical way, someone who's depressed is you see it, you know, the, the lowness of that, the, uh, the, I don't know, like the blues, right? We kind of talk about people like, oh, this melancholy, this, and the inability to function with depression. I think oftentimes um, people push people to go see someone because they're like, you're really sad and depressed. People with anxiety are very high functioning typically. And I think it's why there was a a statistic that was like a third of adults will be affected by an anxiety disorder, but fewer than half of people with diagnosable anxiety disorder seek any help. And I think it's because we do figure out how to manage it. And, and there's like a, an applause in some ways in our society to like the high strongness and the, I can do everything and I can go really fast. And I think it can be um, seen as like a good thing sometimes. Like, oh man, she's, she's just on top of it. Or he's, he's just like a go-getter. He's just, he does everything all the time and it's all frenetic. <laughs> um, and I'm not saying yeah. that is always, you know, I'm not saying that's always anxiety, but I think people, I can think can figure out how to manage it in a way that it works for them. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's okay as long as you're aware that that's what you're doing with the anxiety, like that you're still aware that, oh, it is anxiety and this is how I'm managing it. And there's typically two, the most common two responses to anxiety is worry or avoidance. Mm-hmm. And neither are very effective, but that's typically what we do the most. And you can imagine that with worry, I often times people will say um, it's almost superstition. Like if I don't worry, what will happen? Because there's almost this learned thing of if I worry enough about it, bad things won't happen Hmm. because nothing bad has ever happened, which is not true for anyone's life. But it's like they think if I worry though, if I worry that my kid might get sick and I worry, 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 and I think about it and I research it and they don't get sick, it's because I did that. Like yeah. I had the control to make sure they didn't get sick by my worrying. And it's a hard thing to let go of. The other part of worrying is it gives your brain something to do. Like there's just, sometimes I think um, our brains need stimuli. And when it's mm-hmm. not stimulated, you're like, let's think of a problem to solve. And then yeah. you just start it's worrying imagination, about it. Right? Yeah, we're, we're yeah. Using our imagination. That's it. Negative, right? In a negative That's way, it. for sure. That's it. And then avoidance being the other one, which you can see can cause a lot more. um, We avoid in a lot of different ways. We avoid by using substances to avoid our hard and painful feelings or sensations. Um, But we can also just build lives where we avoid the things that we don't want to see or deal with. And what I thought about as I was preparing for this talk and wanted to hear what you guys, so here's a question for you (laughs) is I feel like um, currently, and I love it. Okay. So I'm not dissing this, but I do feel like there's a a lot of emphasis on boundaries and people realizing, Hey, I need to have healthy boundaries in my life. I need to make sure that I'm, um, you know, not having a relationship with people that cause me to feel certain ways and not watching things or I need to limit my, I need to have boundaries around social media. I need to have boundaries around all the things. <laughs> and I was thinking, what is the difference between avoiding something for the sake of the same reason and having a boundary? And I feel like I'd love to hear what you think, but I know I'm putting you on the spot, but I feel like there's this interesting um, there is a, I do think there's a difference, right? And I think one can come from a place of health and one can come from a place of wanting to manage anxiety in an unhealthy way. But I also feel like, do you see that there's just that real similarity between how we can do that? What do you think, Kristen? <laughs> well, as, as you were talking, I was like, oh, I see where she's going with this. Mm. I do. I mean, I do think that there is similarities between setting a boundary and avoiding something. Um, gosh, I don't know. This is something I need to think about. I guess I was- in, the, in the true, like, if I notice that something is incredibly distressing to me um, in a way that I can't, um, I like, what I'm thinking about right now is reading all the news about COVID. Right. It's incredibly distressing right. to me. None of it actually changes my, my day, um, except for causing me- like mental distress. So for me, I think I've kind of tried to put up a boundary with how much I read about the current state of yeah. COVID. Um, and because it causes other problems where I'm like saying to Andy, did you see this headline? Did you see this headline? And he's like, you can easily find a headline that says the opposite and it gets leads to conflict and stuff like that. So I think for me, um, when there's something that I can't do anything to change it, Mm -hmm. then a boundary feels like maybe a good decision. Yeah. But if there's something where I just don't want to deal with it, right? And I know that there's change or something that I can do, that's probably avoidance. 
Right. I, don't know, I feel like, yes, no, I think that's, that's exactly what I, I was thinking about the news as well. Like the intake <laughs> of the news. I was also thinking like, there's times where my kid, you know, my kids, some kids are at school or, and my other kids being, I have a free moment and I'm always like, Oh, I should be doing, I should like, I get super anxious. Actually, those are the, my most anxiety filled moments. I'm like, well, I should be doing so many things. <laughs> And then I'm always like, I would rather watch Survivor. That's really what I'd rather do. And then I'm always in this battle of like, is it a boundary of like, I'm saying I I really deserve to sit and relax and like watch Survivor or am I actively avoiding something that in the end, the act of avoiding does not lead to decreased fear or anxiety. It It just delays it. Where well, I feel like still <laughs> it's still there. Like all the, and when they come back, I'm going to feel worse mm-hmm. and it's going to like, it'll just build where mm-hmm. I think with your example of the boundary, it's like you having a boundary and same as me of like, I'm going to limit some of the in just the input that we are receiving at such a frenetic level. I'm, if I put a boundary there, there's not like this later repercussion of that. And I feel like an avoiding habit is that that you know in the end you're going to pay for it because you know you've just kind of sho- you've just shoved it aside instead of facing it and saying is this something I need to have a boundary yeah or is this something that I actually just need to push like I just need to push through some of the hard feelings and I think um, the hard that uncomfortable feeling um, we call it sometimes in in the psychology we we need to have distress tolerance. And I feel like what happens is when we completely avoid and avoid and avoid, we are really limiting, limiting our distress tolerance. And we ha- that muscle is a hard one. Like that's yeah. a hard one to try to build back. And there's ways to do it, but you have to be distressed. Like yeah. that's how you build it back. And no, and who wants to do that? Like <laughs> yeah. that's when counseling's not fun. When you're like, well, I actually think you actually need to do the hard thing to yeah. build up some of that tolerance for distress. Yeah. I was thinking when you're talking avoidance versus boundaries, the difference between like, I have an unpaid bill (laughs) that I keep refusing to pay yeah, versus I'm not going to go to TJ Maxx because I know I shouldn't be buying things. Right. So like, yeah, like an unpaid bill that's happened and this is due and it's not going away and there's going to be interest on it. And eventually it's going to collections. That's like my, how my brain thought of avoidance. Yeah. Whereas like, Sometimes I just need to like, I'm not going shopping this month because I'm on a budget and I'm going to limit the opportunity for myself to, yeah. you know, not live out my values. It feels like one's more proactive and the other one is more, like you say, avoiding a hard thing. Um, yeah. So anyways, I, th- I think though hearing you say what, what was kind of popping into my brain at the end there is how. I think going back to the labeling thing, if, if we're not, if we're people that are hesitant to take on challenge or to like, if we label ourselves as I can't do hard things that creates major ripple effects and challenges in our life. Right. Cause anxiety, like I was just thinking, like, even as we're processing this conversation, like the goal is there's no anxiety free life. Right. So ultimately like our That's ability right. to thrive as a human has to be including skills that are how I manage my anxiety and how aware am I of my anxiety and how it, like, what are the, you know, people that I surround myself with? What are the habits I surround myself with to navigate my anxiety way more so than like <laughs> an anxiety free life? Because even if you're on the beach, um, I have anxiety on vacation, knowing my vacation's coming to an end, right? So there's yeah. like, three days left, only three days left on my vacation, only two days left on my vacation's over. Uh, so like anxiety yeah. is, is present. It's just not how we're managing it. Yes. Um, so anyways, hearing you say that, like when we struggle to, what is it? What, were you, what was the term? The muscle that's hard to build back up? A distress tolerance. Yeah, distress tolerance, right? Because ultimately we do need to be able to like live with anxiety at some yeah. level, right? That's it. Because I mean, like we, said, the, right. world, the world has things to be anxious about and yeah. things yeah. that are scary. And that's not something that you can spend your life avoiding. It's just... Right. Yeah. Um, okay, so I know we want... One of the things we want to shift to is the like the relational aspect of being in relationship Mm -hmm. with someone before that I want to just ask you 
you and I did like an Enneagram six thing a long time ago mm-hmm. yeah. during COVID. Mm-hmm. What do you think COVID, what have you seen COVID do to anxiety, people who are prone to anxiety, to experiencing anxiety or people who didn't think they did? Like what have you, mm-hmm. have things changed or what do you think COVID has done? Yeah, I do think, um, I had a little bit of a feeling at the beginning when everyone started experiencing anxiety and being like, oh my gosh. And I felt like saying, welcome. Welcome. (laughs) Like, where have you been? This is how I feel all the time about everything. And also I'm so annoyed by all your like new anxieties about it. Like I was very annoyed. That's where my irritability comes in. Um, I do get annoyed with that. Um, And then, you know, time went on and I was like, okay, I'm going to have to not be mad at everybody for having anxiety anymore. Um, so I do, I think some people that had not experienced it, experienced it, you know, and they, the uncertainty, um, I think that's what I talked a lot about, or I think I had written down that anxiety is an intolerance for uncertainty. That's what it is. It's like, we need to know, like, I need to be certain and I need to know. And guess what? Like most of life is uncertain and there's a lot of uncertainty out there and especially in a pandemic where we didn't know what was happening. So I think, um, I also think people's ability and the things that they did to cope, Mm -hmm. those were also removed. Gyms, um, people weren't able to work out. They, in their normal way, they weren't able to go on vacation. They weren't able to go out to eat and drink with friends. Mm -hmm. And so then people's, it was like both. And it was like the world felt really unsafe. And now we're taking away all of the ways that you typically cope with life. Um, And I thought it was really important. I hope that I I do feel that people, that there's been a shift. And I really, I have, think I have hope that the long, even though it, you know, the longer we're in it, it's like, I'm really hoping then the changes really take place in, in a positive way that, that people have had to learn different coping mechanisms that I'm hoping, I'm sure that there's ones that they are learning that are not healthy, but also I'm hoping it's teaching them like, oh, you know what? connecting with people in this way or being creative, um, having more self-care throughout my day, it kind of slowed everything down too, mm-hmm. to have people have a, a moment of kind of reassessing life. Yeah. Hmm. Um, okay. One of the things we've talked about ahead of this and then also in our emails is just, so there might be people listening that are like, I'm not really, I don't really worry that much. I don't really, I just deal with what is or, you know. Um, But you're most likely in relationship with somebody who experiences some degree of anxiety, whether it's situational um, trait or state, I think is what you said. Yeah. So we'd love to hear your thoughts on, I know like when you're in a session with someone, you can't like call their spouse or their parent and to be like, Hey, here's what you need to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. but this is your chance could, though. <laughs> this is your chance. Could, what are some of the yeah. things you would say? Like when you are in relationship with someone who struggles with this, what are some important things to know? Yeah. So I'm going to just do an example from my own life because I am the person, I am a person that struggles and I'm married to a person who does not struggle like at all with anxiety. I think he suppresses it real deep down is my (laughs) just kidding. Um, But he, like one time I was, I normally have existential crises, you know, I mean every day, but I don't speak of them every day. Um, And one time I said to my husband, Darren, you know, something about like, Oh my gosh, like we're going to die. You know, can you even, and he was like, "Uh uh-huh. Yeah. We're going to die. Like what's for dinner. Like, okay, so we're on a different level of anxiety. And um, so I I find that a lot of times in our arguments, because that's what it ends up being, Mm -hmm. is that he thinks I'm being illogical. And that's what he says. Like, this is like, you're not making any sense at this point. Like, there's no logic. And then he tries to actually argue the logic. Yeah. And I think, so again, Everyone might. This for the record, that's kind of the state for my marriage too. And even like people outside of marriage 
the people who I have in my life that don't struggle, like I'm fine. They will like send me information or statistics or articles Mm. to be like, what you are feeling doesn't make sense. And I've heard the illogical and that doesn't make sense thing too. And that's, it's really hard to try to explain. Right. Right. And is it super helpful to have those? (laughs) <laughs> sent to you? Is, that, is that what you're saying? No, because <laughs> my gosh, it raises it, the anxiety. Yeah. You mean it's not statistically sound to think that my plane is going to crash? Yeah. Thank you so much for, do you know of all the planes that have crashed? Yeah. So you're just telling me that the you Malaysia, just know. Malaysia flight 370, but they still Thank have you. not found. Yes. Listen, it's <laughs> like a thing where as soon as you start t- giving me your statistics and your articles about why I'm illogical, I'm going to say Sandy Hook. Yeah. I'm going to say plane crash 9-11. And I'm going to say, you know, I-, I can say names of people that have died from lots of different things. Right. And so what happens is then the person, okay, so I start throwing out that and I say, <laughs> no, like I'm not. I don't even feel like I'm being logical. I feel like I'm giving you facts of things that have happened. And you're telling me it's fine that my children go to school. And I'm saying it's not. But what happens is then he, my husband thinks I'm actually considering pulling my kids from school. Hmm. That's not what's happening. Hmm. That is not even in the, I'm not actually thinking that way. I'm panicking because I feel Hmm. unsafe and I feel my children are unsafe. And you can't argue with that. There's no statistics that are going to help my body feel safe. Hmm. That's not going to work. So the best thing, I feel like the best thing someone can do if you're in a conversation and you're like, you're noticing like (laughs) everything I say, all they keep saying is like, but this, but this, but this, and it's getting, um, they're getting angry and I'm getting, you know, you're probably experiencing like, oh my gosh, this person is so freaking out and um, notice your own anxiety rise as you're around people that are anxious because it's a little bit contagious. Um, and so you're trying to suppress it also in the conversation, but I think the person you have to let them finish. Like I have to say all the scariest things and I need to say them all. And then I need you to come and put your hand Sometimes people don't want touch. Okay. So I'm not saying this for everybody, but for me, it was like, I can imagine this one time where Darren finally just came and like, he just hugged me. And it's like, I, my body, I like just allowed it. I didn't really feel like one. I would have never asked for one, but I knew I needed, my body needed to be calmed and that felt good. And then I like, I remember I sat down. I just remember this one specific moment about my kids going to school and me thinking they were, everyone's going to die is then I just sat there for a minute, nothing like no conversation. And I drank my coffee and then I got up and got my kids to school and I didn't want to talk about it. It was, there's no reason for it. You can never reason with someone who's in that state of, fear, anxiety. And I I find that the more logic and like the more, you know, this is not, you're not making any sense. And like, it just heightens it all. Yeah. Um, so I feel like it's it's the calming, calming, Calming. anything you can do to just be like, Hey, I wonder if you just need a glass of water for a minute because they're not in their bodies anymore. So like helping someone reenter and like, calm their body down first is going to then help them move on, but it will not be solved. And I think that's what bothers people about being in a relationship with people with anxiety. It's not resolved. It's not like I feel great getting on that plane. The next time I get on a plane, it's not like I'm convinced that I'm going to be fine because I know I'm not, I feel like you are all the people, people without anxiety. I'm like, you are all the people that don't understand the reality of the dangers of the world. We're flying through the air at hundreds We're flying miles. through the, it's like, I can't, no. I will say, we just got back from a trip and I started to feel the anxiety on the plane, but I was like, 
we're all together. So we'll at least all die together and go to whatever's next together. And that made me calm down enough to just like put my headphones in and start listening to my And my guess is only you would be able to tell yourself that because if anyone else told you that, Mm-hmm. My guess is it would be, again, it's like your, our anxiety doesn't want to feel actually very well understood. We just need to be seen. Like, mm-hmm. I just need you to see how much pain and freaking out I am. Mm-hmm. And I don't need you. You can't fix it. And I almost don't want it fixed because there's a sense of like, this is how, this is the process I have to mm-hmm. go through to, to then felt. feel I have to do it to feel okay about getting on the plane. In some yeah. way. So in a sense, it's like, Pay attention, try to recognize what the person is feeling. And I think too, just listening, like hear, hear the, the feelings, the fear, hear whatever yeah. the anxiety And is. you're in a conversation at that point with the anxiety, not the person. Mm-hmm. You're not talking to me anymore. You're talking to anxiety and mm-hmm. you don't have a relationship with anxiety. So you don't even know how to talk about it or to it. So just try to enter back into talking to me, hmm. but I need a minute. Like I need a minute to have my anxiety put back to where I need it to be. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you know that I don't know how long that's going to take right in the, in those moments. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's just like, I really need to stop talking because I need to like kind of go back in and like settle yeah. my yeah. own self. I ground myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm hearing you say it's empathy though for the feeling more so than like parceling out whether or not you should or shouldn't feel something right because if we're like arguing with somebody it's here's why you shouldn't feel this way Mm -hmm. that just never goes good like I I do that with my kids Brittany's corrected me coached me a lot um I'm now a decade into parenting but when you're talking about the feeling versus the logic arguing like we were wrapping up a trip to Hawaii a couple years ago Marshall got a sunburn on the last day. He's a little four-year-old, so cute. But he's like, loses his temper. And he's like, he's sunburnt and grumpy and tired. And and he yells, and this is why, his first time to Hawaii. And this is why I always hate Hawaii. Right? And like, in the moment, I'm like, well, son, like, you're lucky to even be here. And I never went to Hawaii when I was a kid. And you should be grateful and all this stupid That's stuff. It. But what he needs is somebody to say, I'm so sorry your sunburn's hurting, but yeah. that's what he's feeling. And so I, I think it's a pretty natural tendency to want to, I don't know, we get defensive and it's our ego involved when we're like trying to like logic argue. Yeah. It takes a different, like you have to be more aware to have empathy for a sunburnt four-year-old yeah. or for somebody who is experiencing the feeling state of I'm nervous to get on a plane or yeah. I'm nervous to send my kid to school today. Yeah. I think there's a, I think it comes from this good place of like, I want you to feel better. Like yeah. I, I, yeah. I'm so distressed of how you're feeling. And it's, it's like, it's so easy to not feel the way you're feeling. That's, I think how the person yeah. is approaching it. And I think yeah. you're absolutely right, Peter. There's this sense of like, you can't actually yeah. change how someone is feeling. And the best you can do is show up and see them and sit with them. And, um, if they've shared, maybe I, I think I often tell people like drink a cold glass. Like if you're in a panic, drink a cold, if you can change your body chemistry, hmm. your nervous system that is um, heightened can't keep up. It can't digest and panic at the same time. So the more you can drink cold water, put your feet on a cold ground, hold ice. Hmm. So it could be that if they're in a panic, you have had a conversation of this is what I need when I'm in this, don't reason with me, maybe go get them a cold washcloth. Like, Hey, I think this might, you might just need this right now. Right. Um, and so if there's ways that you can cue in people that like, this would be helpful. Um, and that's, I think that's the hard part about that. Going back to the state trait thing is like, it actually is easier to respond to someone who's having anxiety in the moment. Yeah. A little bit harder when I talked about like that buzz just internally is happening all the time because there's a little bit of unknowing and then there's an unpredictability to my anxiety that I feel like is, I can see the unfairness and how hard (laughs) that would be. And I also can have empathy for myself of like, that's why it's hard. It's like, I don't really know what's always going to happen throughout the day and what, what might um, create more anxiety than, than other days. So um, 
as we get, we get kind of to our time that we need to wrap up. Is there anything that you had in your notes that you're like, I really want to hear that. I was just looking. (laughs) I think, um, I was just going to say people that have anxiety, um, it is really important to get checked out by a medical provider before you assume it's anxiety because Mm -hmm. there are a lot, there's thyroid issues, there's um, heart issues, there's, there's other um, physical things that can be impacting your experience and how your body is handling things. So it's always a good thing to go get checked out. Um, And then it's important to recognize anxiety is something that you're experiencing, not something that you are. That's where I talked about, like you're talking to anxiety as a thing. Um, and then the hard part, which I just ignore, but I shouldn't is decreasing caffeine is like the number one thing you you just, if you're drinking caffeine and you're an anxious person, it's not going to be great for you. Um, sleep hygiene, like sleep, so important exercise because of what we talked about with that stress cycle needing to fulfill that. And then what's random is I wrote boundaries, which is funny because I have that weird conflict of like, yes, boundaries, but not avoidance, but boundaries. Um, and I, I think it's, it's a real, which is always what it is. It's like a, we need to have that deep self-awareness of being able to identify, um, when we're heightened and when we're not, or when I'm, you know, I can tell when I get stressed that I start my paranoia. Like I go towards paranoia, which is a different type of anxiety. And I assume there's like thing, you know, the world is really out to get me. And whenever I, at this point, because I know that about myself, when I have a paranoia thought, I'm like, Oh, I must be stressed. And all of a sudden it's like, because I can identify it and I can say, I know why I'm having that thought that the thought I know logically the thought isn't real in the sense of that's actually going to happen, but that it's because of this over here, that that's why that's happening. And I feel like I can function a lot better in my life. The more I've gotten to know my anxiety in that way. So I think that's my encouragement. That's helpful. Thank you. Helpful, Sarah. Thanks for today. Thanks for sharing, bringing some, not only content, but some questions for us too. Okay. Um, thank you so much, Sarah. We appreciate hearing from you and probably rope you you in again. Okay. I love it. (laughs) Have a great day. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us to make a donation. Head to eastlakecc.com slash donate.